the front row. It's like, oh no, it's raining outside and inside. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you here this morning. And uh, it's one of those mornings where I, I could just go on singing all morning. Actually, looking at the clock, we did. So we will, uh, we will do what we can to get you out. It's raining outside, so just be comfortable. It's warm inside. It's dry. So, so we'll, uh, we'll spend some time looking at the Word of God. Let's, uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for um, your great love to us. We thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the life we have in him. And, uh, Father, the fact that we could be called the child of God is an amazing thing. And it's all because of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he was willing to give himself for us and to make a way for us to be saved from our sin. We just pray as we open your word and as we look at it, as your word is open in Sunday school as well, that it will have its effect. Lord, you make promises of your word that, one, you exalted even above your name. And you also say that it is quick and powerful. It's a two-edged sword. And it penetrates our lives and our hearts. And I pray that it's your word, not my words, that penetrate our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we uh, study this morning to come out of here walking with you. And if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, may the Holy Spirit impress upon their heart their great need. May they repent of their sin and turn to the one and only living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Okay. So if you were here at Easter, um, the message was, but God raised him from the dead. And that was going to be my second message in this series. And this is one from a snowstorm back in March. <laughs> so the Lord has his way of doing things, doesn't he? So I go back and I thought, okay, this is going to be an easy-peasy weekend. I'm just going to go back, get those notes out that I had ready for March. I'll read through them. I'll do some highlighting. I'll just kind of work with it a little bit, and, and I'm good to go. Well, by 2 a.m. on Friday or whatever night it was, uh, I thought this is a lot more reading and highlighting than I ever thought it was going to be because the Lord completely changed that message, and I think the first one was for me. The next one, hopefully, is the one that he wants me to, to say today. And who knows why delays come, but, th but they do. So the last one I, I entitled, But God Raised Him from the Dead. And I thought about this, and it was really actually when I was just about to close up last night, and I looked and I thought, but God raised you from the dead. That really speaks to what this passage was. And I apologize to Andrew. I kind of sprung this on him just before we came up. Um, I was going to actually text Stephen on Friday and say, do you think Andrew could read this passage for me on Sunday morning, and then I saw on Facebook that he's preaching just about everywhere in the country over the last couple of days and leading studies everywhere, and I thought, I'm not going to bother Stephen. He's got an awful lot on his plate. I'll just ask Andrew if he's there on Sunday. And then I completely forgot, and then I walked out from the washroom, and I said, oh, there's Andrew. And so he had, like, you did really, really well with, like, no notice. So I really appreciate that. He's a great reader. That's why I wanted to have him do it. So the words that we're going to look at again in this little series, just going to be a couple of messages on this one, but God... They're simple words, powerful truth. And I did this uh, when I spoke at Easter time. I mentioned this. It speaks of a powerful truth just in, in two simple words. 
they point us to the one I will call the great interrupter, the one who can powerfully and graciously interrupt our lives with his plans and change our lives forever. It's found 45 times in the Bible, depends on what version you use, I suppose. And it's always followed by something happens and followed by a radical change. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Bible commentary, a commentator, said that these two words in and of themselves contain the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. I would agree with him. He says, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've lived, no matter what mistakes you've made, or what failures you have had, what addictions you may find yourself in, there can be a but God moment that radically changes who you were and who you are. It's one of those things that you use the word but all the time, and I use it all the time. Tell people at work, we didn't have a bad year, but, oh boy, there are no raises or bonuses this year. Oh boy. Um, I had a great vacation, but it rained the whole time. So when we use the word but, it usually is something negative is coming afterwards. However, when you take the word God and add it after but, it means that the impossible is about to happen. Something that you never expected is going to happen. But God. So he read this morning, Andrew read this passage this morning, and in the middle of it, in verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So I want to focus on that a little bit this morning as we go through. So the first thing that, that we understand when we read verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now this is before we were saved. Now if you're here this morning and you've never come to Jesus Christ, and if you've never trusted him as your Savior, and you don't know him, you are still in that state. You are dead in your, in your trespasses and sins. You're not alive. You are not spiritually alive. And you need life. You're separated from God. The unbeliever is dead and lacks the capacity and desire to respond or understand spiritual things. And I'll give you an example in my own life. I, I went to church from the time I was carried in and I don't know, we didn't have little, cra we didn't have car seats. What am I kidding one of my aunts held, her, held me on her lap and, and, and drove and brought me in. And so from then, for 20 years, I went every single week. And I heard the gospel. And there were times that every night for 12, 14 weeks, I heard the gospel every night. Every night. And I sat and I listened and I heard it. And I, but you know what? I could never understand. I could not understand it at all. It was a spiritual truth. And I was spiritually dead. I'm not getting this. And I could preach a message. I could tell a person how to be saved. But myself, I was dead. I couldn't understand. So it says here that we're separated from God. The unbeliever, we're dead. We lack the capacity. When did spiritual death start? It started with Adam. Remember when, when God said to him about the tree? The day that you touch it and eat of its fruit, you will surely die. And Satan came and said, yeah, right. You're not going to die. But they did. They died spiritually. Instantly, at that moment, as soon as they ate of that tree, that's when sin came. It says in, in Romans, you read, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. That's spiritual death, as well as physical death. Physical death came later. They started to decay, and they started to go downhill and die. You see, the thing about a dead person, 
And a lot of people go to religion to try to improve their condition. A lot of people try to do things that this, maybe this will help. Maybe if I take this self-help thing, or maybe if I buy these rocks and gems and crystals and line them up on my windowsill. I, I'm not joking about that. We were, we were just down in Maine and New Hampshire, and I'll tell you what, there are way more rocks and crystal shops that are going to supposedly save you from all the ails of life and spiritism and everything else. There's way more of, the, of those than Bible stores. In fact, we did not find one Christian bookstore. Not one. All the way down. From here to Boston. None. But all kinds of stores selling crystals and rocks and gems and things that are going to just radically change your life. I'm sorry, but it won't work. All it's going to do is make a, red, a, a really dead person more poor. Because they're like, go with me, I'll collect rocks with you. It'll, it'll be free. But you buy them in these stores, it's going to cost you a fortune. All you become is a poor dead person. You are not going to change. You maybe turn to religion. Maybe you think if, if, I, if, I, if I do this, if I read my Bible more, if I, if I pray more, if I, if I go to church more, if I give money to the church, that will fix my dead condition. It won't. You need new life. Jesus says there's only one remedy. And as he spoke to a man named Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need life injected into you, spiritual life. And if you're not born again, he says you will never see the kingdom of God. Very important truth. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, there's two words here, trespasses and sins. The word for sin, here's the Greek word right there, hamaratia, I guess, or hamaratia, something like that. It means to miss the mark. It's kind of an archery term. So I put the uh, bullseye thing there. It could be unintentional, or it could be intentional. It's found 173 times in the New Testament. Sin. We all know what that is. We've all sinned in some way or another. We've all told a lie, taken something that wasn't ours, said something bad about somebody that wasn't maybe true, looked at another woman to lust after her or another man to lust after him. We've all done some of that stuff. It's a sin. And sometimes we've We've committed sins that we didn't even know about. Sometimes they're mistakes, but they're still sins that make you fall short of the glory of God. They're still offenses to God. And then there's the word trespass, and I thought about trespass. What is that? Well, trespass is crossing a, a known boundary. And actually, when I looked up the, the Greek word for it, it means to sidestep. You know where you're supposed to go, you know where you're not supposed to go, and you go there anyway. That's a trespass. A sin could be, I know Clyde needs prayer, and I don't pray for him. Hmm? Scripture says that. That it could be a sin to not pray for somebody when you need to pray for them. But a trespass is worse. A trespass is when you willfully and intentionally do something. I remember years ago, and I, I know there's probably some Dalhousie students here, and I probably am risking telling this story, but... Underneath Dalhousie, uh, under University Avenue, all the way up from the Tupper Building right up to the Killam Library, there are heating tunnels, and they're really cool. All these heating pipes and cockroaches are all in these tunnels that, that run up through there. And I found out about this because we had a geology class because they had it all mapped out like a, like a mine, and we were going down there mapping and stuff. And I told the guys in residence, I said, hey, you know what, guys, there's tunnels. No, that's what all those, that's what all those things are on University Avenue. They're, they're entrances and exits to the tunnels. No, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know how to get in. Really? Yeah. And I, because I teach a lab, I have a key, a master key that gets into a whole bunch of places. So maybe, maybe well, why don't we go down and, and like, like, we'll go through these tunnels. Hmm. So I went down to the Tupper building, down into the parkade, and went over to where the heating tunnels, Dave, you know all about these heating tunnels, I'm sure. Oh, and Dave's going to be trespassing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you go into the Tupper building and you go in, and it's one of these cool things. There's a light switch. You turn off the ones behind you, you turn on the ones ahead of you, and you keep going through. Now, that, again, that's, that's 35 years ago, so it's probably a lot different now. But we were down there and decided this is really cool. We walked up through, and, and we were just, just a bunch of guys just messing around. And we got to the end, and I said, okay, let's get out here. So we climbed up the ladder, this little steel ladder, and flipped the little uh, locks or whatever, flipped the thing open, and standing over me was Dal Security. <laughs> and I came out, and three other guys came out, and he said, what are you guys doing? And I tried to make up some story. I said, you know, well, I, 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 do, I, I, I do a geology lab over at Dal, and I was taking them down to show the... No, no, no. It's, it's Friday night. It's 11.30 at night. You were not teaching a lab in that tunnel. <laughs> I said, no. So we ended up over at the Dallas security office. And, and what he said to me, he says, you know what? I could have you charged with trespassing. Now, would he be right? Absolutely. Was it willful on my part? Absolutely. So that's what trespass is. When we willfully go out of our way to offend God or offend another or act against God. That's a trespass. And, and before we are saved, we are dead in those things. You see, unbelievers, were, are, are, they're not sick, they're dead. They, they, one said that you can take a person, put them in therapy, and they'll just come out a well-adjusted sinner. Or you can put a person in a church, and they'll just come out a religious sinner. The only thing that can put a person right is that they are placed in Christ, and then you have a saved sinner. See, that's what's going to take care of our trespasses and sin. I think I went back in my notes. Okay. The next part, it tells us here in verse 1, it says, you walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world. The, world, uh, the word for walk here is peripato, I think it is. I don't know. I'm really, really poor at pronouncing Greek because I grew up in Cape Breton. I think that's probably why. Uh, which, which means to order your behavior. To order your behavior. Or to, or to tr actually the word here for walk is to, it also could be translated as to tread all around. And it could be interpreted, as one says, as meandering. You just kind of wander without goal or purpose. It's like, do you ever go to a store and you're just killing time? You know, your wife is somewhere or... Sometimes when I travel, I just try to get away from everybody, and I'll hop on a bus, and I'll go up to the Square One Mall in Mississauga, which is like a huge, massive mall. It's as big as Dartmouth. And you're walking through the thing, because you can get 12, 15,000 steps just walking this mall, and you're wandering around, just wandering, browsing, looking, and I always end up going, man, wow, why am I going back on the bus with this bag of stuff I didn't even want? Why did I buy that shirt? Why did I buy that? Whatever it is. And, and you're thinking, I was just wandering around. I was meandering. And so it, it, it kind of talks as if like you're, you're, you're kind of like browsing the shelves of the world. 
and picking things that you want, that you don't really want, but you end up with them. And that's kind of the way sin is for us. You're just wandering around and just picking, and it's all now you're, now you're carrying bags and bags and bags of it. You can hardly walk because you've collected so much from the world. So we have this propensity. All of us do. In, in fact, in, in Isaiah, and that was read this morning, Isaiah chapter 53, you may read, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But, but, all that stuff you've carried, all that stuff you've picked up from wandering around, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can be freed from all of that baggage from wandering around, browsing the shelves of the world, and just filling your life with a collection of sin. You can be freed from that by Jesus Christ. Paul's point is you're just looking for what the world has to offer. It's, it's, it's a nature that we all have. And I'm going to tell a story here. And I think John Wells may have shared this at the Breaking of Bread one day. But there's a man named Robert Robinson. And he at tw- age 20, he, he came to Christ and... He became a preacher, and he wrote some songs in the 1700s. And he wrote this song, and, and, and I would say almost more often than not, we open up the breaking of bread with this song. Come thou found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. I don't know if there's any song that we sing at breaking of bread to start off more than that song. And then in this song, he wrote this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the God I love. Some years later, Mr. Robinson found himself wandered far, far, far away from God. That propensity to wander is in us all, to just wander away. And it says that we lived our lives, it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit is now working in sons of disobedience. That's the way we walked all our lives. We don't want to walk that way. There's good news coming. In verse, the next verse we read, in verses 4 and 5 it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now it's not bolded in your Bible. I, I did that for emphasis. But God, James Montgomery Boyce says, understand those words and it will save your soul. If you understand what it means by but God in this verse, it will save your soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can understand just from this verse right here. But God, you were dead. You were, you were weighted down with a load of sin. But God has found a way and provided a way to take that all away and to give you life, to give a dead person life. It contains the whole of the gospel, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says. A saved person has a but-God moment in their life. Every one of us do. It might be in a different place for you. It might have been a different way for you. It might have been a different way for me. But if you are a person who is saved and going to heaven, you had a but-God moment in your life. I'm so thankful. And and I'm so thankful for the but-God moment in my life. I was a religious guy. I went to church all the time. Then I walked away from it. I was a rebel. I was lost. But God 
on the 21st of December, 1981, but God, save my soul. And I think everybody here would have a testimony of some sort like that. Warren Shocker. He'll tell me the story. <laughs> I was you know, reading a track, wasn't it, Warren? But God. I was doing this, but God. Went back to work, I was a changed person. But God. But God can save you. But God can make you alive. If you're here this morning and you are dead in your sins, those words, but God, bring great hope to you. If you understand, the Holy Spirit will open up your heart to understand and know your need and repent of your sin and turn from it and trust in God through Jesus Christ. You will be made alive. Now, why did God do it? Why did he do it? It says right in the verse. Because he's rich in mercy. Now, there are, I don't remember everybody's sermons. I know what Emei spoke on last week, our freedom in Christ. And the week before, Clyde spoke on something about Mother's Day. <laughs> Sorry, Clyde. <laughs> and and so, so we don't remember, but we, we pay, take little nuggets of things, and, and, and some things we hear through the years, and we never, ever, ever forget them. And I remember something about mercy. You may, you know what I'm saying. One evening, Brian Dillman speaking. Unfortunately, it was the evening. Most of you weren't here. But it was in the evening, and we were sitting here, and he said, yeah, in, in Brian's way, grace is for the guilty, but mercy is for the miserable. Hmm. Never forgot that. Hopefully never will. Misery needs mercy. Mercy is for the miserable. Because of his great love with which he loved us, being rich in mercy, we're rich in misery. He's richer in mercy. That's the great thing. Lamentations uh, 3, verse 22 says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Really, our sin, our sin is so great. One sin is so great that it offends God that we should be thrown out of his presence forever. But because he is rich in mercy, he will forgive, he will save, he will give life. It says, because of his great love, no greater verse than John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. You can't find a greater love than that. Nowhere. Because of his mercy and his love. You know, God loves you. And when you discover his love for you, it's a monumental but God moment. It totally changes you. You see, people go through because they, they're misinformed and they have this thing, oh, God's out to get me. God's mad at me all the time. Well, I don't know where you get that idea. He's not. God loves you. God wants to see you come to him and be his child, that he can bless you. You see, when we are, when we are made alive in Christ, when we are given our life, we recognize that God has changed our life and the way it was going to go because of his mercy and his love. So what did he do? What did he do? He made us alive together, it says in this verse. He made us alive together. King James Version. Dave asked if anybody reads the King James Version. I do. So it says quickened. 
quickened. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because it has Zs and a couple of double zero O's and a, and a P and, and those uh, funny things over the top of it. That's a Greek word. It means reanimated, conjoined with, made alive. Reanimated. Remember, like, when I was a kid, you know, the thing that scared me to death was watching the Frankenstein movie. <laughs> this monster that was in the thing, and then, then they put a, you know, all this power through him, and then <laughs> he came out and became a monster. Th- that, that's reanimated. I mean, Frankenstein was made from a bunch of dead people's parts, and he was, and he was, good thing the kids went downstairs. <laughs> and then they, then they ran this bolt of power through him, and, and he became this living monster. But, but we haven't become monsters, I hope. But he has given us life. He has reanimated us. We were dead, but now we're alive. And you know what? When did God love us? Did God love us when we cleaned up our life, when we, when we became acceptable to him, when, when he looked at us and said, you know what? Now I'll put my love on you. No. It says in Romans, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love to us before we were cleaned up, before we were saved, before we were his. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while, while we shook our fist in his face, he still loved us. And he demonstrated that love by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. He loved you when you hated him. He loved you when you ran from him. He loved you when you had no thought of him at all. And as a result of all of this, We're in a new place. In 6 and 7 it says, and he raised us up. Okay, first of all, he made us alive, and now he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness, his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this term in Christ 85 times in, the, uh, uh, in his writings. It says here that we've been put into a new place. Now these notes and that are not even close, but that's okay. So he, he's, he's, he's taken us now positionally. We were dead. We were made alive in Christ. And now immediately and positionally, we are seated in heavenly places right now in Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ. He uses that 85 times. He says, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ and Christ in God. It's like this double barrier of protection I've got around me. I'm in Christ. Positionally, that's where I am. Now, literally, am I in heavenly places? No, you're here at Northbrook Bible Chapel. But you will be, if you're a believer, the promise is that you will be in heavenly places literally forever. Living in heaven. You know, I don't know about you, but that's kind of an exciting thing. When I come to realize that this isn't my home, my home is heaven. Well, we were in to see Dave in the hospital this week, and, and boy, I'll tell you, he's, he's, he's not doing well. And, you know, he, he, he witnessed to his doctor. He wants his doctor to go to heaven. He's, every time I've sp- spoken to Dave, he says, you know what, my great hope is that I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to be in heaven. All these problems, all these, all these struggles will be over. He, how often, how many of you have spoken to Dave Spidell and he said that to you? That, yeah, his hope, his eye is in heaven. 
He lives in view that heaven is my home. This is not. I'm traveling here. I'm in a hotel, and I can't wait because I'm going home. That's the way he thinks. That's the way he lives. That's the way we should all live. That's the way we need to think. You know, we don't get too excited about it. We should be really, really excited about going to heaven. That is our home. And you know, Paul writes as if we're already there when he writes this. He says he's taken you from a dead person, made you alive, and now seated you in him in heavenly places. So if I'm in him, and he's in heaven, and that's going to be my home, that's where my heart is, and that's where my heart should be, and I should be longing for that place. Never mind the stuff that you just want to accumulate here. That's all going to go away. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But don't get too attached to it, because it's temporary. You're in a hotel room. You're going home. We should be thinking about that. In fact, in a font too small for me to read, at the bottom it says... In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Looking for the blessed hope, you wonder where that term comes from, comes from. People talk about the blessed hope. There's, there it is. It's from Scripture. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much can be said from that verse. It says right there, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God. You could, you could, you could spend a whole day just speaking on that verse. But we are to be looking for that. We are to be looking for that home. You see, we are to look for the Lord Jesus Christ for his return. It's not an event. Sometimes they say, oh, I'm looking for the rapture. I'm actually looking for him. It's a person we're looking for. It says in, in, uh, in Revelation that he will be with them, and we will be with him. That's, that's the joy of heaven. It doesn't really matter what's there. He's there, and we will be there with him. And we should be longing for that moment. We should be longing for that time, not, not an event that's going to take us out of here, I don't long for the airplane ride when I'm coming home. I long for home. So that's the way we should be, that's the way we should, we should be thinking of these things. We will be with him. And then what it says here in this verse, it says that in the ages to come, that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You know, I read that and I get really excited. Because what are the ages to come? In heaven, there's not really ages because it's eternal. It's going to go on forever. So, like a thousand years from now, he's still showing me his rich, the riches of his grace in kindness. A million years from now, a billion years from now, a trillion years from now, a trillion years times ten from now, he is still going to be showing me the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness in Jesus Christ. Just think of that. Think of how deep the Father's love is. That it's going to take forever to show us his love, his kindness, and his grace. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, for the person who is looking for the eternal world, he says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world, world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. If you read history, you will find that there are Christians 
who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. You think about heaven, you will be very effective in this world. That's why the guys go out on the streets. That's why you talk to lost souls. Because you're thinking of what's ahead for them and what's ahead, what can be ahead for them. Finally, the fifth point, we are his workmanship. This uh, verse 10 here has two parts, and you know I have skipped a verse, and, and, and uh, it's not verses 6 and 7, it's verse, this is what happens when you do these things in the middle of the night. Verse 10 says, uh, for we are his workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we, should walk, we would walk in them. There's two parts. First one is God's work in you. His workmanship. Now that word is sort of like poem, poem, poema, poema. And it means an exquisite masterpiece that is made from fabric. You know, there's a story that's told of Michelangelo. And Michelangelo, that great sculptor, who did some really magnificent work. And one time he had this rough piece of stone, and he was just chiseling away at it. And somebody came up to him and said, what are you doing with that rock? And he said, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. Which is kind of a cool way to say, because it I'm sure it would be a masterpiece. You know, that's kind of what God's doing with us. We're rough stones. But as he works on us, as, as he is working in you, as he's working on you and, and developing you through his word, through us, you know, iron sharpening iron as, 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 as one should do to another, as we pray for one another, as we challenge one another, as we, we, we seek to grow and go forward, he is working in you, he's changing you, he's developing you. If you're a believer, God is working in you. You're his workmanship. Believe it or not, you're, you're his exquisite masterpiece. You don't feel like that, but you are. God is the master sculptor. And he, and he liberates masterpieces from rough stones. Then the second part is God's work through you. You were created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared for you. We were created in Christ to do good works. What's interesting in this is there's not a day that you say, okay, at some point in time I'll be qualified to do some good works for God. You're qualified if you're, if you're a child of God. He's working on you. It says that he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He has prepared us to do good works. I love this verse in, I, in uh, 1 Corinthians verse 1, verse 27. It says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. You know what? I qualify. I, I, l I love verses when I read stuff like that. I come across something that says ungodly. Uh, yeah, I qualify. I read something that says foolish things. Yeah, I qualify. Um, he has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has taken us put us in Christ, not only to work in us, but to work through us. You see, I'll give you a, a really kind of a rough illustration of this. If I were to sit down at that piano and try to play, you'd leave. You wouldn't sing, you would leave. You'd probably scream and put your hands over your ears. But if I were able to sit at that piano and somehow Mary could put her talent in me 
and worked through me to play that piano, to, to move my hands just the right way. It would sound beautiful. So you say, well, what's the point of that? If I go out and just try to do good works, if I just try to do it on, in and of myself, uh, they're probably going to be just lame and ineffective and so on. But if I say, God, I, I can't, I'm not up for this. I can't do this. You know what I am? I'm just that rough stone that you're chiseling away at. But if he works in me and he works through me and I say, okay, work through me so I can do good works, he will do that. And you will be effective. You will be working for him. But it's something very important I want to tell you here. You are saved for good works, not by good works. I left a verse out here because it would take me the whole day. I've taken more than enough time, but it would take me way more time if I did verses 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. No one can ever go to heaven and say, God, I'm glad you recognized all the stuff that I did to get myself here. That won't happen. That will never happen. Not of works. Nobody's going to be walking around heaven saying, oh, wow, I didn't expect to see you here. And they'd say, yeah, <laughs> well, I worked hard. It's good to the neighbors, um, you know, lived up in Canada, shoveled their snow all the time and, you know, stuff like that, baked cookies for them and, and all that stuff. And, and you know what? God recognized all that hard work. And here I am. That'll never happen. Not in a gazillion years. That'll never happen. You cannot be saved by good works. You will never get to heaven by good works. But if you are saved, God will do good works through you. You will do good works for God. End of slideshow. 20 more points. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, when, when Paul was walking along that Damascus road and he was saved, he asked two questions. Do you remember that? A bright light shines. Paul's walking with his friends. And then a bright light shines around him. And he says, whoa, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And then he says, what? Anybody help me, what did he say next? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? So if you're a believer, if you are saved, that second question is an important one. What would you have me to do? So what are the good works that he has prepared for your life? So no matter what your propensity or occupation to serve, whatever it is, your calling is to serve him and to reach people, to serve one another. If you're a believer, if you've been saved, if you've had that moment, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Whoa, Lord, I bow before you. I accept you. I'm a sinner. I'm saved. And your next question should be, Lord, what would you have me to do? And no matter how hard it may seem to you, he will make it easy for you to do. He will give you the ability to do I won't say make it easy. He will give you the ability to do it. You know, evangelism's not easy. I'm just picking on evangelism. It's not easy, and I, I, I've hardly ever done any of it. And I remember back when, when, I think Warren spoke one Sunday morning, and he said, you know, the first tract of the day is always the hardest to give out. Oh, man, is he ever right on that? Is he ever right on that? But, Lord, what would you have me to do? I, I want you to give the gospel to people in toll booths. I want you to give the gospel to people on the streets. And the first one, he says, what's this? 
Hmm, that didn't go well. But you know what? As it goes on, it's like, hey, did you get one of these? Did you get one of these? Hey, I want to talk to you about something. If you exercise what God wants you to do, it will become easier for you to do it. God wants to use you. He wants to make you a masterpiece. He wants, if you're not a believer, for you to have a but God moment, to go from being a dead person, but God made you alive, to give you life. May you be open this morning and honest before God. And if you have been a believer, maybe for a long time, maybe a short time, and you have not served him, you think, I'm just, I'm just about coming to church on Sunday, and then I just go back and do whatever I have to do the rest of the week. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. There's no problem there. But, like, get involved. Get, be, do stuff. Yes, that's what he wants you to do. Think about that. Think about that in your own life. And be honest with him. And he will give you the ability to do it. Father, thank you this morning as we look into your word for the great promises of your word. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Thank you we have been saved by grace. Father, we thank you for these promises where you have raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places as if we're already there. Help us, Lord, to surrender to you, to allow you to work in us, to change us, to shape us, that we may go out and do your work in this world around us. We want to pray this morning for our brother David Spidell in the hospital. I pray, Lord, that you would give him strength I pray that you would help the doctors as they treat him. And I pray for your will in his life. I pray for special strength and encouragement for Myrna. And I pray that you would just undertake in a very difficult situation something that seems medically impossible. However, we trust you, the great physician, for healing. We look to you as the one who has the power of life in your hands. And we look to you for all the answers in these difficult things. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. In his name, amen. You have to sing one more song? Clyde, will you sing one more? Okay, good. Um, sing, Lord, I need you.